was a whole high school. Um, and then K through 12 was all in the same building. So there was just like a hallway that separated, you know, um, middle school and then another hallway to separate separated elementary school so all my younger sisters that lived in the same house with me uh were in the same building with me as well and I would pick them up from school or drop them off etc wow yeah I, I actually had a, a a similar kind of educational path where I went to very small schools um and when did you start playing sports and what sports did you play I started playing sports at age nine. Um, well, that's, you know, when I started running track to my recollection, I think I played sports my whole life. Um, so if you can name, I guess, uh, if I think about the sports that I played, basketball, softball, ballroom dancing, karate, gymnastics, uh, you name it, I pretty much did it as it pertains to sports. Track and field, though, I remember starting at age nine um, in Detroit and then switching over to the, the Pennsylvania team that was local, and then kind of going back and forth between the two teams, depending on which parent I was living with at the time. So uh, anybody that runs uh, track knows about Penn State relays. Mm -hmm. uh, does that bring back uh, good memories for you? So many good mem memories. So the Penn relays, I won the, the gold watch that you get as a winner. Um, three or four times during the course of my career, more so as a professional athlete than I did as a high school athlete. Because I was from such a small town in Pennsylvania, we were very seldom invited to the pin relay. So big schools in Philadelphia got to attend and, you know, some of the more um, fancy schools during that time period got to attend. Um, and I mentioned going to private school. Well, that was when I lived in Detroit with my mother. But when I moved to Pennsylvania with my dad, I was in a small town. So it was easy to go to public school and get an actually better education than I got at the private schools in the Detroit inner city. Right, right, exactly. So um, let take us to high school and, you know, you turn to 16 and you realizing like, I got to get my own money. Like, let me get this job. <laughs> uh, what was your first job? And what was that kind of balance of going to school, possibly still running track and maybe even another sport and also having a job? Yeah, it was a little bit of a balance that I need to manage. I was also a class president. I was also student council president. So I had a, quite a bit on my plate um, as a high school athlete, but I managed to kind of like navigate all of it and try to get a, a really good understanding of what, you know, kind of work-life balance before that was a word um, meant and understanding that my studies were first, that, you know, athletics were second, and then all these other extracurricular curricular things were third, you know, and on down the line. So I did get a really good gist of how to prioritize my time. Um, but also time management was a really important and key tool for, you know, just being able to be successful. Which of these things is most important and which of them do I need to do today? I was a very early riser. I have been my whole life. So I was that kid that your mom never had to wake up for school. Um, I was already up watching cartoons or doing whatever. And I carried over into high school years where I was up very early, you know, getting myself prepared so I could get homework done from the previous night or, you know, get to class or get a workout in before school. Um, and it, it allowed me to maximize my time. So I'm going to guess that when you got, when you had your first job in high school, um, you your concept of money was saving and spending. Is that an accurate uh, kind of assessment? 
that that would be accurate. Um, that was all I knew about money. Um, I was, like I said, very entrepreneurial from a very early age. So I remember selling candy. Uh, so we had a penny candy store. I don't know if anybody's old enough to remember penny candy stores, but they took the candy and bagged bulk candy into little 25, uh, 25 cent bags. And you got 25 pieces of candy. Um, so I would take that penny candy, buy it, and then I'll go to school and I would sell it for 50 cents. And they'd be like, but I know it's 25 cents at the penny store. It's like, but you didn't go to the penny store to get it. So do you want this candy or not? <laughs> so exactly. definitely very early, early on entrepreneurial and realized that I needed to be able to make my own money to be able to care for the things that I wanted to do. Um, and as soon as I turned 16, I went and I got a job. I actually got in trouble because on my 16th birthday, I went to Wendy's, got hired and came home and told my dad I got hired. And he was like, you didn't ask my permission you're not an adult. Um, you don't get to just go get a job because you want to. He did let me keep the job, but he was definitely letting me know that like, it's not okay to just do whatever you want. You're under 18 and you need to uh, abide by my rules. Wow. So, I mean, you went to college at what, 18? Yeah, I went to college actually at 17. So I'm, I'm born in September. So I was one of those ah. people that's kind of on the cusp of when you could be, I would either be the old kid in my class or the young kid, I ended up being the young kid in my class. Okay, so you, I mean, after you get the job, you have the job for about a year. Um, where did you end up going to school and what did you end up studying? I chose the University of Miami um, and Miami is was such a wonderful opportunity and experience for me. So um, a short part of my story is I went on my college visit to the University of Miami uh, during the first frost in Pennsylvania. So it was October of 20, 2019, or I got, well, I graduated in 2020, 2001. So 2000 probably, it was probably like October of 2000. Uh, I went to visit University of Miami and returned to Pittsburgh for, for my, the rest of my senior season and was like, oh, it's snowing here and I got sunburn in Miami. This is a pretty easy choice if I'm gonna have to do track and field as a, as a part of the scholarship opportunity, so. And so um, you, you go to the University of Miami on a track scholarship and, what made you choose the major um, that you ended up finishing with? And, and so this is one of the things I'd really like to encourage people around is you don't know what you want to do at age 17 or 18 years old. You know, while we like to think we're adults and we're grownups and we're done with high school and, you know, there's this whole thing, adulting now. Um, it's okay to not know what you want to do and to pick something based on what you're interested in. So I picked finance because I like math and money. Um, and that was all the more reasoning behind it. It wasn't a lot of research. It wasn't a lot of, you know, different things that went into it. It was just like, oh, I do math. It's enjoyable for me. It's not something that I, I hate. And I really like earning money. And someone told me that this thing, there's this thing called finance. Um, and it was not a personal finance. It was not financial planning as a degree. Um, that came much later. I'm actually old enough to, <laughs> that didn't even exist at the time. Um, so that's how I picked my major. And I learned a lot more about finances overall a little bit later on in life. Talk, talk to us a little bit about um, being a collegiate athlete and transitioning into a professional athlete. Uh, a few months ago, we had Niall Diggs on the podcast who's a, a former NFL player. And so, you know, we all know many professional athletes are black, 
Um, but we also know that a lot of times that's their first time coming into a lot of money. I won't say coming into wealth, but I'll just say coming into a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, just kind of walk us through the, the handling of the money when you were in college and then the, tr- um, the transition when you became a professional athlete. Um, because yeah, we just kind of want to hear your whole story of, of when you had that kind of wake up call that, that this is important and they didn't teach me this in school and, and how you kind of, um, self-initiated your path after that. Yeah, certainly. So I, I will say that, you know, I can pat myself on the back and say that I had good financial habits from a very early age and I don't know where that came from. Um, I was counting my dollars. I knew how much I had. I knew, you know, what the next, you know, school dance was and how much that was going to cost. Um, you know, I knew to ask somebody else for the money for the prom dress and, you know, only fill in the gaps if I absolutely needed to. And then I got to college and, you know, now I'm I wasn't hundred percent on my own. My parents were still helping out as much as they could, but a lot of the responsibility for organizing my finances on a monthly basis, you know, started to fall on me. And so I got my first credit card and I'm glad to say I didn't make any poor decisions or mistakes at that time. I knew I needed to pay it off in full. Um, how I knew that, I don't know. Um, but I would go through the statement every month and I would match up my receipts. I would save my receipts and match them to the thing remember like, oh yeah, I went here and I got my nails done. Oh yeah, I I ate at this place with, you know, my friend Tamika and so on and so forth. And I would go through and kind of itemize and categorize things um, as necessary during that time period. So that was a really good habit that I got from the very beginning that was very, very helpful um, in helping me better organize my finances. So that was kind of like step number one as it pertains to kind of like navigating everything. when I got to, you know, being a junior in college, getting ready to better organize my finances and really understand what it is that um, I want to do as a professional athlete, you know, so I guess I'll tell the story about that too. <laughs> Everybody doesn't know me. So uh, part of my story is my junior year in college, I went to the national championships. Uh, my goal was just to win the national championships. And not only did I win it, but I went, I ran the second fastest time in the world. And so that's when I had to turn my focus to becoming a professional athlete. Um, And so I knew enough at that time to know that I did not have any real financial expertise. (laughs) Despite being a finance major, um, you know, being 20 years old, that's over the age of 18, I'm a a quote unquote adult. Um, I knew I had no idea what to do with this money. I knew I didn't have anybody in my family that was a six figure earner. Um, and I, I needed help. And so I hired a financial advisor. That was kind of step number one for me. I didn't know at the time though, that there were different types of financial advisors. So, um, there are some people who are selling investment products and they earn a commission from selling those investment products. There are other people who are certified financial planners, and they're going to look at your full financial picture. Um, and then there are others that are kind of, you know, hybrids of those various things. And, you know, there's different ways that people are served. As a 20-year-old who didn't have financial literacy, um, who was responsible but didn't know a whole lot about money, I knew I needed to enlist the help of someone else. And I really wanted a financial planner, but I didn't know that that was a thing. I ended up in the hands of someone who sold investment products. Um, And so for me, you know, as we talk about investing story, one of the first things I ended up with was a million dollars of life insurance. Um, I was single. I had no children. 
and I had whole life insurance that was costing me about $6,000 per year. Um, so quite a hefty tag, uh, price tag on that. And what I learned over time, and now that I'm a financial advisor myself, is that, you know, the first year and a half of what I paid in premiums went into the pocket of that investor, of that uh, financial advisor. Um, wow. And so that's the things that we don't know or we don't understand or are not readily available to us as people who are trying to do good things with our finances. Um, is life insurance in and of itself bad? No. Um, you know, I had to learn that over time. But, uh, you know, is it necessary for a single 20 year old with, with no dependents um, and his whole life insurance that the right product for her yeah. or for, you know, for someone in that situation? And for me, the answer is no. Um, and so the very long story short is while I did get set up with some investment accounts and retirement things that I needed, um, overall, I didn't get any more literate by working with that gentleman. I did not have a clear plan. I did not have a budget. Um, I wanted to know things like, can I move out from living with my college roommate? If I can move out from living with my college roommate, you know, can I move into a nicer apartment or should I get into a house? And, you know, as we talk about the black community, I think a lot of us do um, you know, trendy narratives and we hear things and we share those narratives with others. And that can be one of the most divisive things that happens in our community is that, you know, we mean well and we say, hey, you know, Jacqueline, you need to get a house because the house helps you create wealth. And, you know, that in and of itself is not a bad or derogatory statement. But if I'm not a realtor, if I'm not a financial advisor, if I don't know anything about Jacqueline's finances, then why on earth, you know, would Jacqueline listen to me? Um, and it might be just because, you know, she likes Lauren. And that's kind of the situation I was in. There were a lot of people who really cared about me and I know were trying to do what was in my best interest, but had no financial expertise whatsoever. And so one of the big things that I heard during that time was that, um, you know, you should buy a house that costs three times whatever you earn. Well, that's not true. <laughs> that's just plain old, <laughs> not true nowadays. Um, you may be approved for something that is three times what you earn, but that does not mean it's just what you should buy. <laughs> um, and that's where a financial planner can come into place, talk to you about what is realistic based on your other goals and what you can actually afford from a financial standpoint. So I'll pause there because I know I'm talking quite a bit. <laughs> but um, We're loving it, Lauren. I, I actually have a question That is the beginning of you. my financial story, right? <laughs> yeah, because we're, we're going to, we're going to like, just go in on this whole story. Like, because I have a question. <laughs> we want all the wake up calls because what you just said hit so many nerves and it's going to wake so many people up and I'm not going to be doing much of the talking because I want you <laughs> to speak from your experience about those real wake-up calls and how do we learn from what you went through to to better our situation you know because from that you know the questions to ask if you were to hire a financial advisor, you would just have so many lessons learned. So I'm gonna let Jackie ask the question, but well, we definitely well, <laughs> are gonna get into some details about this. Well, yeah, and it's already an amazing story. You know, she goes from you know being this entrepreneur selling penny candy to being an athlete <laughs> and uh, you know do being a professional athlete and all that. But I do have a question about when you started working with a financial planner. So did you go at this yourself? Like, is the financial planning sitting with a 20-year-old? Like, did you go in with either of your parents or anybody, or was it just you? 
Nope. It was just me um, figuring this all out on my wow. own. And I think as we get older and wiser, we realize just how young and dumb a 20 year old is. <laughs> Um, at that age, like I said, we're the age of majority. We're over 18. Right. Um, I was not 21 at the time. I turned 21 the September after the Olympic Games, uh, my first Olympic Games when I'd already received, you know, kind of my first paycheck and all that. Um, and so a lot of this was just left to me to figure out and to depend on, um, you know, the person that I was sitting in front of to give me the right information, tell me the right, right. answers, because I didn't have a parent, you know, helping me in this situation. So that was, that was a tough thing as well. So Lauren, when you look back at that, is that part of what motivated you to want to be in the industry and to become a financial planner yourself? Oh yes, definitely. So if I go on a little bit more in the story, you know, the very long story short is that I fired that guy after a good bit of time, Mm -hmm. um, hired another one. So I'm not a story of an athlete. I want to be clear on someone who stole my money and ran off and, you know, did all these terrible things. I just was not served in the way that I needed to be served as a customer. Um, That type of financial planning or financial advice was not appropriate for me. And I don't feel like that it's appropriate for the majority of people out there. You know, those people have a job because it is appropriate for a few people. They also have a job because there's a lot of people who don't know the difference. Um, and I think there's a lot more people that don't know the difference. And that's why we need to educate people about, you know, what, what exists out there, what is available to you and what's worth paying for. Because the also, other thing too is. I want to say too, though, that generally you take advantage of the ignorant and it doesn't matter how, how, how bad you do it. It still is, is in, in the same vein. So I just needed to interject that. Go ahead, Lauren. Nope. It, it, it is very, very true. And, you know, now more than ever after the events of 2020, I think people are awake and aware and wanting to help one another. And we are trying to band together as a communities of color. Um, and what we need to do is make sure that whatever vision or whatever profession that we're in, that we can sleep at night, knowing that we are uplifting our people, as opposed to taking them manager them and and further helping the plunder that is not allowing us to get ahead um because if some people do that gut check they'll say like oh i might need to change professions i might need to do something different um and do you know like earn a whole different living for my family uh it's just a hard place to be but it's not impossible so i'm just gonna like leave that out there for for people to absorb and and do what they will Um, so, but I'll get back to the story. I fired that gentleman. I hired another guy. I thought that was going to go better because he worked with professional athletes. Um, it did not go better despite the fact that he worked with professional athletes. Um, and so the long story short there is that, um, he worked with a bunch of NFL players. They invested their money in a casino. The casino did not open. They all lost hundred percent of their money. So I became very lucky that I was just, you know, a six figure earner and not a million dollar earner. Um, at that time because I didn't get to invest in the casino but I was not well cared for in the hands of that investment company or that financial company as well and that's kind of where I put my foot down and was like okay I got to figure this out for myself I was kind of already on a journey I was a finance major I'm not a complete idiot you know I'm asking these people I'm trying to make good financial decisions and literally a google search is what led me to certify financial planning so that's kind of how the story unfolds So one of the, uh, go ahead, Jackie. Well, I was just about to ask, so you're talking about the certified financial planner. So 
Um, I'd kind of like to hear about how you even decided, okay, I'm going from being a professional athlete to being a sort of, because I mean, it's not an easy road. I mean, I'm starting down that road and it's a lot of education, a lot of experience, a lot of money taking the exam. It's a lot of stress and everything. So can you talk to us a little bit about that? Because for better investing members, even though we love to invest in individual companies, that doesn't mean that we don't use or need professionals. So yes. I, I think all Amen of our eyes to everything open. you just said, right? <laughs> um, the investment of time in your own education is one that is very, very important. And it does not have to be certified financial planning, but you do have to spend a good bit to understand these topics for yourself in order to be able to do and able to do a good job on your own. And when you don't want to invest the time, then you need to invest the money and in paying someone else who has invested the time. Um, and I think that's a big disservice that we do ourselves as, you know, brown people, as people who, you know, are maybe mid earners or mid to low earners and feeling like our dollars don't stretch that far. It's like, why am I going to pay Lauren $200 a month for, you know, whatever the case may be or whatever the fee is for the service that's being provided? And instead of thinking, oh, I'm probably spending $200 or wasting $200 a month on something because of what I don't know. We need to change our mindset first um, and then go on to like taking advantage of the things that, you know, we can take advantage of because we are either better educated or we knew the value of delegating that to someone else who was better educated. So there are two options. You know, as much as I would love to say everybody needs a financial planner, that's just simply not true. But you also need to set aside the time and invest the time to educate yourself if you're not going to hire someone else. Because it, with, without it, you cut corners and you end up in a really, really terrible situation. Now is the perfect time to do our commercial. <laughs> so Miss Ann is getting in place. So I, I'm going to do my best to, to try to do her. Um, but that is why we have my investing story, right? And my investing story, me, Miss Ann, Jackie Koski, and a few others are all members of Better Investing. We are all volunteers of Better Investing. We are not day traders. We are not stockbrokers. We are not selling you anything. We are providing you an opportunity to invest in yourself by investing in quality education for your financial future. I could not have teed that up better myself. And what Lauren just said is what I like to stress about the importance of being a member of Better Investing and not just a regular member, a plus member. I'm gonna go on record and say a plus member because a plus membership is only $120 a, a year. And for all of the resources, for all of the educational opportunities, for all of the live events, for all of the recorded classes, for all of the volunteers that give their time, their email and their personal cell phone number to you with over 70 years of organizational experience, $120. Unfortunately, many people are paying that in their investment account based on commission or whatever else. And they don't even know where that money, you know, they don't even know they're being charged that. So 
you know, I just had to plug that in because what you said, Lauren, is absolutely accurate and cannot be stressed enough. Um, because like you said, I mean, cognizantly, we may not want to spend that money, but unconsciously, we're already wasting that amount of money, if not more. Definitely. Um, it, is, it is so important that we are real with ourselves and we understand what our spending and our budget looks like. Um, there's also a couple questions in the chat. Uh, is it okay if we jump in and answer those right now? Yeah, definitely. I um, wanted to just do the commercial. We have a question in the chat, which is, um, what, what do you believe a person should look for in a financial advisor? And I'm, I wanna say that question, that's from Ann Newman. But my sub question tied to that question is, what are the questions we should be asking a financial advisor? Because mm. again, you know, an, an, an educated consumer is a best customer. And so, you know, I would love to hear from your experience and, and, and you didn't tell us how many years you, you kind of went through those too. Well, I'll let you slide on that. But <laughs> what type of questions were you then able to ask of the person you then hired or, or, or even now that you're in that role? How do you know somebody has done their homework when they come to you? What are the questions they're asking you um, so that you know that, that they know what they're talking about and you just can't get over on them? Yeah, so I'll start by saying my uh, financial planning journey as a professional began in 2012. Um, so we're approaching a 10-year mark as it pertains to my uh, expertise and information that I've gained. Um, and then on top of that, um, there's also been, you know, me find, trying to figure out, uh, you know, what it looks like to, you know, like I said, work with a real financial professional. And so part of that was me getting my first internship. So if you want to know my specific requirements and what I'm going to tell you, if you want to get a a real professional and make sure that you're in the best hands possible, you got three things. First thing is that they're a certified financial planner. Um, and so that comes with an uh, education requirement and experience requirement of three years, um, an exam that, that is, you know, used to be a two-year exam, they're now, they're now down to a one-day exam, and then also a code of ethics. So it's a lot different than the person that's going to sell you an investment product. They need to pass that one exam and that's it. And then their training and things beyond that are around getting investment um, sales expertise. So sell, you know, so-and-so, you know, company's product. That's what their, their thing is. So they don't have a lot of education around finances overall. The CFP is going to teach you about you know, debt and budgeting, it's going to teach you about taxes, it's going to teach you about insurance, it's going to teach you about investing, retirement, uh, estate planning, all of these various topics. So you can take a real good look at your full financial picture instead of just one thing in a silo. So we know that investing is important. We know it's a key part of your personal financial uh, picture, but it's not the only thing. You know, we got to make sure that your kids' 529 plans are in place. We need to make sure that your student loan debt has a plan behind it. Uh, we need to make sure that you are properly covered and insured should something happen to your family. Um, you know, if you pass away, where is all this money that you've been investing going? Uh, that's what a certified financial planner is qualified to do. So that's criteria number one. Number two, fee only. So fee only means that the person is going to charge you a fee 
they're going to disclose what that fee is and how that fee works. And there's nothing else above and beyond that fee. Um, so the biggest thing that happens in this industry is that people end up with someone who is charging, you know, 2% of their assets under management is also making a commission on, you know, selling you ABC product, investment product, whatever. Um, and it's very, very expensive and you never see any of them. There's no transparency whatsoever. Um, and so you think you're like, oh, Lord, why am I going to pay you? My financial advisor is free. Your financial advisor is not free. They need to make a living. Um, and you need to ask them how they're making a living because if they, they paint the picture that's free, something is not quite right. Um, whereas like, I'm going to tell you, Hey, um, you know, and Hey, I only, this is how you, you know, how I'm going to charge. And you may not like that fee, but you know, I also have to make a living and you're going to know exactly what it is. And there's nothing else beyond that. So fee only means that they're going to charge you a set fee and it's going to be transparent. And then the third requirement is that they be fiduciary. So fiduciary, meaning that they do what is in your best interest and that they're legally obligated to do so. So if I do, you know, if I say, hey, here's this great insurance product, it, you know, you need to be inv invested, I mean, insured for a million dollars. I need to say that because I believe that's actually in your best interest, not because um, I'm going to get a kickback for that, or I'm going to get a commission for that. Um, and it's really hard for people who sell products to be fiduciary because they have an innate conflict of interest because their job is to sell you a product. And I'm not throwing any shade because people have to make a living. And so they're going to try to sell you what their company tells you to sell you because they need to make a living. However, they may not be doing it with your best interest at heart. They may be doing it with the, the idea that they need to feed their family and put food on their table. So you need to be mindful of that and you know look for somebody who's going to give you unbiased advice based on a flat fee that is disclosed and that you understand i love it i love it and you're the first um financial planner that we've had on to be able to break it down to those three requirements which leads me to my next question how can you immediately tell off the bat if somebody is selling you something versus they have your best interest at heart or is a certified financial planner. Well, I'm, I'm gonna I'm just say not even, I'm take away that second part. If they're just selling you something or they have your best interest at heart, because I, I think that even some CFPs may not have your best interest at heart. And in, and in this realm, especially, you know, love to interview the athletes because you all are prey to them, right? Being black, we are sometimes prey to them, right? And how do we, as we learn for ourselves, how do we also build up our discernment to be able to notice the difference? Um, I would say the biggest thing is, you know, what kind of questions are they asking you? So we all have this thing, you know, you know they call it a gut feeling, intuition, um, you know, juju, you know, if you believe in a higher power, somebody's going to tell you this doesn't feel right. And when it doesn't feel right, you know, go with that and lean into why does this not feel right? Maybe you don't know everything about what this person is telling you, but if it doesn't feel right, walk away from it. And if it doesn't feel right, also ask a lot of questions um, before you walk away from it, because you may learn something about why it didn't feel right. Um, but the things I would say that someone who doesn't have the best interest, your best interest at heart, is that you have some burning issues that you want to get dealt with, and they're focusing on one thing. 
And so, like I said, generally that one thing is investing because like I said, that's either how they're going to make money. Um, you know, that, that is generally the, the main way that people are going to make money. Even people who are, like you said, certified financial planners, some of them charge based on what we call assets under management. Um, and so if you have $500,000, they're going to tell you, um, you know, invest that 500,000 with me. They may not be earning the commission for it, but they may also be, um, you know, like, hey, I want your money over here so that I can make my 1% or, or whatever their number is. So it's something to be mindful of that there's still kind of a conflict of interest that exists when somebody is managing your assets. And so as I think about, like you said, what would be kind of the red flags as I'm going through and I'm, you know, listening to someone or someone's pitching me, it's, you know, I come to you and I say, or, or I come to you and my, my main three things are, I got student loan debt. I have no budget. I have no idea how much money I earn or how much money I'm spending. And maybe my number three thing is I want to pay for my kids to go to private school. Uh, those might be my three issues. And then I sit down and I talk to you and you tell me, um, oh, Lauren, you need really got to get life insurance. You got kids. You, that's the most number one priority in your life. Well, that's not my number one priority. Um, you know, I've got these other things and you didn't even spend time asking me what are my priorities. Um, so that's red flag number one. And then maybe at some point the conversation kind of unfolds and I tell you about my three priorities and um, you don't make any mention up like paying down debt or getting a plan to understand what is the best strategy to handle your debt is kind of like just financial foundations 101. No brainer. Right, right. Exactly. Right. You know, I, I say if you got credit card debt, if you got, a, you know, one of those care now cards, um, if you're not doing kind of, you know, just some baseline things, then you're probably not ready to invest. And if somebody's telling you to skip over some very fundamental steps and start investing immediately, then that's kind of a red flag. Uh, that's saying that, hey, they must want something from you. And that's why they're telling you to do this instead of that. Because if you got 23% on your interest rate, I don't know any investment that is going to turn around and give you that 23%. You need to get rid of that credit card debt first, plain and simple. Um, and you don't even need to pay me to tell you that. Like, you know, it's not a good use of your funds. If you got an extra 200 bucks a month, as an example, uh, don't pay me, pay your credit card debt down and then come back to me once you have no debt. Like, that's what somebody who really has your best interest at heart is going to say. Please, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't even know what else. <laughs> well, I, I, well I, I, Lauren, I really appreciate you making the distinction that a financial advisor doesn't just focus on investments and investing. You talked about estate planning, like getting your, you know, medical directive together, you know, um, you know, setting up your will, you know, you talk about the tax part, which, you know, there's huge savings there. So I think it's, I think before I knew better, I always equated a financial advisor to an investment person. Mm -hmm. and, and, and so for, many of us do. And I mean, yeah. that's how I thought of it. That's how my friends think of it. Uh, I go to networking events and that's the same thing. 
You know, they say, you know, what do you do? And I started, you know, originally I used to say I'm a financial planner and people would be like, oh, I don't have any money to invest. And they would try to like change the subject because they're so used to being sold a product from somebody. Um, and so now I tell people, I help people organize their finances and that kind of prompts them to ask more questions. And I think it's so important for people who are financial planners to talk about the things we do above and beyond investing because it's exactly what you, like my thought process and so many other people's processes were the same as yours, Jacqueline. Yeah, that's so funny because it, it could make a huge difference. And, you know, and another big question I had, you know, um, I've been learning a lot about, you know, the CFP world and know that there's not a whole lot of diversity, right? You're one, I think as far as <laughs> Black women, is it less than 2% of Black women are CFPs, financial planners? And so how do we expand that? Because, you know, you're being real with us right now. And, and I think part of it has been the whole investment piece because we didn't have the wealth where there's so many other aspects of financial planning that's so important. So how do we get more, I guess, diversity, more black people, more people of color that are professionals like you are? You are asking the, the million dollar question. Um, like you said, the barriers to entry are that, you know, now there is an undergraduate degree uh, that is financial planning. So I think that will help get more people of color into it. And a lot of HBCUs are also offering that undergraduate degree. So, you know, we're, we're headed in the right direction, but traditionally this has been a certificate on top of your undergraduate degree. Um, and and it's a costly certificate. So, you know, it's like going back to school and it's kind of in between. Whereas, you know, the people we've talked about, like I said, I'm, I definitely don't want to make it sound like I'm story shade the people that, um, you know, do investment as a, you know, product sales. Uh, while it is not for me and I don't think it's a, for a lot of people, I understand that not everybody who sells investment products is bad. Um, that is taken care of by the company who's telling you to sell their product. So they say, come on over and get this thing called the Series 7. We'll teach you how to pass the exam. You know, we'll pay for your exam. And it makes it a lot easier for people to get into that. Whereas the CFP is some area where you have to be working at some sort of firm already where they value the CFP and they're going to pay for you to get it. It's, it's far and few between where people are offering that. It's a lot more expensive. Um, it's a bigger investment of time because it is actual expertise and education, not just like, here's an exam, pass this exam, doesn't matter if you really know anything about investments or not. Um, and so that is the real big barriers that we're facing. And then also just, you know, existing, like you said, there's so few of us that, you know, we got to go to career days. And it's hard for me because I'm a black woman, you know, young black female trying to build a business in an environment where it's very hard to build this business. But also I'm being asked to show up at every single career day for every little right. inner city school in the world <laughs> to let them know that I also exist and that this is a profession that's available to them. Um, so, you know, you gotta find that balance of, you know, doing your part as it pertains to growing this industry, but also making sure that you continue to exist because if we, if I become extinct after three years, it doesn't do anything to grow us, you know, uh, as yeah. grow the profession either. Yeah, and I have to say, um, we really appreciate you giving us the time that you're giving us tonight because you're dropping a lot of truth and from a voice that we can all, you know, connect with. And I can tell you, you know, in learning about the CFP world and all of that, you were the first Black female CFP that I heard. I heard you on uh, Travis's show, The Student Loan Planner, and you were the first one. So just hearing your voice, you know, made a difference to me. And so um, I want to thank you for that. 
and let you know that your voice is being heard. You know, that was, you know, podcast. You probably didn't know who was listening or whatever. Um, so you never know. And, and who, and, you know, when this gets published, you know, many more people can listen to this black female voice and know that this is a field that's so needed in our community. And it's not just about investing. So I want to just thank you for that. Definitely. Um, <laughs> thank you for thanking me, but it, it is not just me. There are, there are a few more others out there. Um, like you said, while we do look like unicorns, so the industry is 3.5% people of color um, and then 2.2% um, African-American. And then overall, 78,000 mm -hmm. certified financial planners in America, uh, only 23% of them are women. So if you take a mm -hmm. Black <laughs> female, like, <laughs> I'm pretty much a unicorn. You're, you're right, exactly right. right. <laughs> I, well, once I started digging, I did find more. You know, you've got the African-American Association of Financial Planners mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But you were the first one that I heard and I started digging. And so, so yeah, it's pretty small. And, um, you know, hopefully one day I'll be in your CFP world and I'll get there. But until then, it's just very nice to see uh, professionals such as yourself that is willing to share as much as you share. Yeah, like you said, the, the biggest thing is educating people because if you don't yeah. share this knowledge, where are we supposed to get it from and how can we do better if we don't know better? Right, right. Exactly. Now, one, of the, one of the things I do want to do is take you back to the moments of realization in your own journey because uh, we, we did go the route of um, understanding what to look for in a financial planner, understanding how you can get got. Um, but walk us through how you actually ended up cleaning up your own situation based on, you know, what these two dudes <laughs> ended up putting you in. How did you kind of come back from that? And where are you now? Amen, amen, and amen. So it took a lot. It was not a simple task. Um, I made a lot of financial mistakes along the way. Um, you know, I could be, you know, I think one of the things we do is we, we sit in shame and we don't allow ourselves to move forward. So uh, you may have done something that you now know is wrong and you're still sitting there because you're embarrassed about it. You don't know how to get out of it. You haven't asked anyone for help. Um, you're hoping that that investment will come back. <laughs> There's all these things that we do uh, when we make a mistake that, that, further you know that exacerbate the issue that is the mistake uh there's, there's a, a, a saying that goes like you know fail fast fail forward where you just you realize it's something you cut it off and you make a change um so one of the big financial mistakes i made was buying too much house uh, i did go ahead and buy a bigger home than what i could actually afford um and and it was more so like i could afford it in that moment as a professional athlete with that salary but how was i going to afford that for the next 30 years because exactly. that's generally how much a mortgage you know how long it takes to pay down a mortgage i didn't and you have still, a job that was and, and it's still just you exactly you know who needed a four bedroom four bedroom four bathroom house for one person somebody should have said girl sit your butt down somewhere like <laughs> in one bed in one room at a time Exactly. Um, so, you know, I just had to really get an understanding as, at some point of, you know, what am I trying to accomplish now? What am I trying to accomplish for my future? And how can I use money to, you know, help me accomplish the things that I want to accomplish in the future? I was very, you know, narrow minded, you know, grow your money right now, make your money work for you. There's all these kind of clickbaity, trendy articles or narratives that exist. 
um, that don't allow us to focus on our future and they're very distracting. So the first step to kind of getting organized financially for me was starting to take back um, organization. So I had someone that was like, you know, doing my bill pay for me, um, taking care, you know, these are things that are pretty standard among professional athletes. Like we delegate everything because everyone's like, don't worry your pretty little head. All you need to do is show up and compete. And that is nothing, nothing can be further from the truth. Um, we do not work nine to five like regular people do. And regular people have to still figure out how to organize their finances on the weekend or from five to 8 p.m. or whatever the case may be. We have more time than the average person and we need to take time to invest in, in our knowledge and understanding. So I started to take inventory of my finances. That was thing number one, uh, understand what my bills were. I could feel that, that mortgage now, like, oh, like I gotta come up with how much? Like what job could I get that's gonna allow me to just pay this mortgage? Oh, but I also have to pay the light bill and the property insurance and <laughs> the pool fees. And, and I'm like, okay, like these are expenses and they feel very expensive. Um, and now when you, you know, taking real inventory of what you're doing, because the budget is a big bad B word. That is way worse than the real B word to most people. Um, however, it is essential in creating a foundation for your finances. If you want to invest, you want to start making your money work for you. Uh, that is something that's important to you. The first thing you need to do is find the money in your budget by understanding what your budget is. Um, so that was thing number one that I did. And then I had to start cutting those expenses. So now I'm like, okay, you know, I'm naked and I see these things. These are all of the different expenses I've got going on. Where do I need to cut so that I can live a life that is well within my means and I can continue to move forward. Um, and it's not the easiest thing to do, but the best thing you can do is automate things. So give yourself an allowance and say, this is my, you know, get your hair done, get your nails done, eat out, do whatever the fun things are that you want to do. You know, know that your money is being paid for, you know, your bills are being paid for out of this account. Um, and then also automate your savings. So uh, if the money is being saved and it's going directly where it needs to go and it's doing that job and you're living off of what's left over, now there's a lot less opportunity for you to fail. Because what we generally do as people is, oh, I got to pay Uncle Sam, I got to pay so-and-so, I got to pay, all these people are lined up with their hand out. Um, and then whatever's left over, you're like, I got to treat myself. And then whatever's left over is what you try to save. That's just not going to work. <laughs> We're never going to have money to invest. We're never going to have money for our future if we don't put that money at the top and then build a lifestyle based on what's left over. Um, so those are kind of two big things that happened. Like I said, I purchased too much house. I didn't have a budget. I did get one. Um, and then I started to better organize myself around, you know, what are my goals? What are my aspirations? And what are the things that are, are matter to me? Um, big mistake that I think a lot of people make is comparing themselves to others. So-and-so has a nice car. So-and-so has a nice house. So-and-so is on vacation. So-and-so might be charging all of that to a credit card debt whatever and can't pay for any of it so while it looks fun and exciting and amazing and that they're doing so much better than you their finances may be a wreck um so stay in your lane understand what you can afford and then go from there and that was something else that i kind of had to check myself on was trying to keep up with what people think the image of a professional athlete is versus what i actually want and what i value as a person so your spending needs to align with your values. I have a 2008 car. Um, people make fun of me still to this day in 2021 that I have a 2008 car. 
that spending does not align with my value. I don't need a new Tesla, a new whatever exists out there as it pertains to cars because cars are depreciating assets. They are not going to help me reach my goal. So you can be mad about this car you want. I'm gonna get it washed. I'm gonna get it serviced. And when the wheels fall off, I'm gonna go ahead and get me a new one. And it's not gonna have cost me as much as it did cost you by doing at least every two years for you know the last 20 years. Now I have two quick questions as we wrap up the show. Um, you mentioned about clickbait language. What are some of the, or what is some of the clickbait language that, that get people caught up? And after that, I want you to, well, I want to then ask you, um, what is your current financial vision for your life? What does it look like? And, and actually, are you even living it right now? Yes, yes, and yes. So um, clickbaity language. Okay, first thing is, um, you know, all the things that you're seeing on the internet right now, you know, flip your money, uh, make your money, make money. Um, uh, I've seen one recently where people are, you know, purchasing puppies on credit, and then they're breeding puppies to make a living, <laughs> like uh, the susu. So the susu is a real thing. But the, there's tons of other people who are pretending they have a susu and it's not actually a susu. A susu is with a, a very close knit set of people that you care about and, and are going to commit to, you know, doing this investment process or savings process. Um, there are tons and tons. If it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Um, student loans is another one where people are, you know, pay me and I will, you know, make sure you get public service loan forgiveness, make sure that your loans get forgiveness. Sounds too good to be true once again, it probably is too good to be true. Um, you know, we talk about that all the time on Student Loan Planner. These are things that you can do for yourself. We empower people from a student loan perspective to take control. Here's the information you need to know. Here's the numbers behind why this is the best thing for you. And then you go do it uh, because, the federal government, you can pick up the phone and call them and say, hey, this is what I want to do. You don't need to pay somebody else to do that on your behalf. So be very, very careful with the things that sound too good to be true as it pertains to clickbaity stuff. Um, as it pertains to my own finances, what I'm trying to do is retire by 40. I'm 37. Um, I have done my numbers. I know that I need to save another $150,000 in order to actually be retired by 40. Um, and, and like I said, the thing is like, people are just like, what girl, you're gonna be done by 40? Well, you gotta look at what your expenses are um, because you too can be done in some age that is way before you know the normal 67 and a half. But what you need to do is understand what your expenses look like and what you're willing to spend money on. My expenses are very low, so I can do it. Like I said, I'm not, I'm not far off. And I was really surprised to find out when I finally did crunch my numbers, because even though I've been a financial planner for like five years now running my own business, um, it took me probably three years, you know, probably even more than that. I probably just did them like a year, 18 months ago-ish. Um, I had never crunched my own numbers to know like, what am I actually trying to do? I know that I'm saving, I got a good savings rate, but like, where am I trying to get with these numbers? Um, and so to sit down and really understand where am I trying to go? What do I need to do to get where I'm trying to go? You probably will be pleasantly surprised and realize like, oh, it's not that unrealistic to retire at 45 or 50 or whatever your number is, but it can be well before 67. And it's not because 
um, you're crazy or you live off of $1 a month, it's because you really understand the value of a dollar, you've aligned your spending with your values, and then you've invested accordingly. Well, you are in the right crowd. Uh, I'm a little younger than you, but my goal is also to uh, retire. Uh, well, I should hit my number by 40. I'm kind of already retired. Jackie retired at the lovely 49, right, Jackie? Yeah, well, that's how I got to know Travis. You know, we were at this fire event, sort of. We were both speaking and um, yeah, 49, you know, just an average everyday girl, you know, single mom and, you know, just, it, it is possible. You're right, aligning your values to how you spend and, and, and being intelligent about your money, knowing all the net worth statement that you mentioned, that was probably the most powerful exercise I've ever done with my money to come up with my net worth. So, mm -hmm. so yeah. You will get there. I mean, you look, all I mean, can do it. Each and every one of you. Miss Ann? Seldom am I speechless. <laughs> yeah, Lauren is amazing, isn't she? I mean, Lauren, this is such a wonderful uh, show to have you kind of speaking the truth to us and being a profession, um, being in the you know, financial planning profession was, it's just good to hear that perspective and all the tips that you gave, I'm sure is going to help a lot of people. I certainly hope so. I can't wait to share it with my community. And thank you so much for having me on and creating a space for people to tell their story because that is important as well. It's going to help a lot of people. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I can't wait to share it with my community. And thank you so much for having me on and creating a space for people to tell their story because that is important as well. Yes, one thing I would like to add though. Yeah, Do you have something on Miss Annie? Yeah, we yeah, might be getting a little feedback. Yes, one thing I would like to add though. Okay, I think Ann is having a little trouble with our audio. We're getting a little bit of feedback, but um, um, Ione, did you want to close can us out? Or, yeah, okay, we can hear sorry. you now. I just wanted to say to Lauren, one of the things that I would like to okay, suggest. I think Ann is having a little trouble with our audio. We're yeah, it's doing it again. Are there something, how many devices do you have in the room right now? Okay, she's going to put something in the chat box for us. Sorry about that, Lauren. I know she was chomping at the bit wanting to ask you something. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm just so excited that uh, you were able to share your financial vision because I do think that it is important to finally look up from the day to day and see where you're headed. And um, like you said, once you do it once, maybe even do it again and feel adequate in the planning of that, um, you can really, you really have options, but you know, I don't, I don't think that, um, that a lot of times we are around other people that are looking up and creating a path outside of the one that's already kind of laid like oh i'm just waiting for my pension oh i'm just 
waiting to finish my 30 years. Oh, I'm just 65 and it's just automatic. And, you know, um, there's no thought of or about what life is going to be um, after, you know, after, after you retire, you still have to live, you know, what is your life going to, going to look like? What are you going to be involved in? Um, and yeah, can- we've got to get out of automatic zombie mode. Uh, we've got to do better in that regard because so often, like you said, I'm just working to pay bills and been paying bills to go to work and, you know, and rinse and repeat. Um, I'm just doing the employer match, you know, the, the minimum 3% and my employer's match of 3% and hoping that's going to make it. And I don't have time to really look at my finances. We have to make time uh, in the same way that there are 330 million people in America. We need 330 million unique financial plans based on the person that is behind those finances that they're earning. Um, and we've got to be able to cut our brains on and say, what do I want for myself? because I'm an individual, I am unique, and my circumstances are not everyone else's, as opposed to, I'm just going to work and live and work and live and and repeat. Excellent. So uh, I guess I can just kind of close the show by inviting you to um, become a a member of Better Investing and see what we're about, uh, all of us as hosts on the show. Um, our long-term members of Better Investing, actually, and Jackie and I are on, serve on the national board. Uh, the board, actually, funny enough, is majority women. Well, we're 50% women right now. And I think with one guy, male, rolling off in a few months, uh, we're actually going to be about 60-something percent. And of course, Jackie and I are two wonderful Black women on, on the board. Um, But yeah, as an organization, we are really opening our arms to um, our community. We're serving not only as as members, active members, but also as volunteers uh, to share the resources. Because like you said, it is one thing to hire someone. It's another thing to learn for yourself so that you can ask more educated questions. And um, in our community of better investing, have, we've been successfully investing for over 70 years, and we've also been beating all of the benchmarks. Um, our BIXX um, kind of fund, which is really a, a, a collection of all of the um, uh, stocks, or I should say equities that are owned by better investing members and also better investing clubs. Um, we have our own kind of index fund that has been outperforming uh, both the S&P 500 and the, you know, the Wilshire and, you know, all of that. So it has been a very empowering process. um, And it's something that we love to share with our community, because it has also helped us to build the confidence to do it for ourselves. Even if we don't become CFPs, at least at the very minimum, bare minimum, if we can do it for ourselves and and do it for our families, create that wealth and learn how to build it and pass it on. That's one of the the greatest uh, legacies um, that we can live. So leave. So with that being said, uh, do you have any uh, words of encouragement, closing remarks for those that um, feel like they need to do something or, or like you said, may even be stuck in shame 
um, what would you say to them? My just kind of final word of encouragement would be, you know, you are worth it. You are enough. You are valuable. Um, and you deserve to uh, accomplish all of your financial goals. You know, we have a lot of responsibilities. We have a lot of things distracting us. We have a lot of things pulling us in different directions. Um, there's a lot that we don't know. Fear, anxiety, there's, you know, there are all these negative things that we kind of prioritize or that come to the forefront. Instead, we need to change our mindset and decide I am worth it. I am enough. I'm going to pay myself first um, and I'm going to reach my financial goals. And when you start setting your mindset around that, um, you can change the trajectory of your whole entire life. And, and how do we get more of Lauren? Lauren, don't you have a podcast website? Can you tell us more? <laughs> how, we can, how can we get more of this wisdom from you? All the things I do. I have a business. It's called Worth Winning. Um, you can find us at worth-winning.com. Um, I have a podcast. It's called Worth Listening. It is all about helping people uh, feel better talking about money. So people come on and they share their money stories. We're in the middle of a series called Know Better, Do Better, where we're debunking some of the big clickbaity kind of financial myths. Um, me and another certified financial planner. Uh, and that is worth-listening.com. Uh, you know, as an Olympian, people can find me at lauren-williams.com. So everything has a dash in the middle. Um, uh, pretty easy to find on social media. My name is Lauren with the Y, L-A-U-R-Y-N uh, Williams. And yeah, I'd love to connect with people, you know, slide in my DMs, email me, whatever it is that you want to do. I am available and ready to interact and help people make better decisions with their money. Yeah, well, thank you. We're honored that you spent an hour with us tonight. So um, I guess, uh, Ione, you want to um, close us out, sign us off? Um. I told you this was going to be a special guest. <laughs> I'm so excited and so, uh, just feel so blessed and so grateful that Lauren, you made the time to share with us this evening. Um, this will be recorded and, and uploaded on, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and everywhere else you, you may get your podcast fix. But, um, but, you know, Lauren, your story was unique. I just want to say thank you so much for your authenticity. Thank you so much for being vulnerable and sharing your whole story because we really learned a lot. And I think we're going to be able to walk away with some valuable lessons learned and how to move forward. And I'm, I'm pretty sure some people are going to reach out to you as well because that is the key that's missing in this industry is vulnerability, mm -hmm. you know, is accessibility. It's, you know, just all of the things that really serve to connect us and empower us to do better uh, for ourselves and work with people that want to help empower us to also do it for ourselves while also helping us along that path. So with that being said, uh, it's been a, a true pleasure, uh, a, a pure joy. Thank you so much. Um, we wish you the best in all of your endeavors. And I'm sure this is not going to be the last time uh, we connect and possibly work together on some things, because I think right now we're really just building a community of people in this field and of this knowledge and vein that can work together to, um, to build a better community 
just, you know, each one reach one spreading out. So thank you so much again for your time. And we really appreciate everything you shared with us. Amen. Thank you for having me. And uh, you ladies have a wonderful evening. And I look forward to connecting with you in the future as well. Okay. Have a good night.